After your few weeks off for Easter, it is back to the salt mines, back to Ecclesiastes. We will be here for a couple of weeks till we get into the end of May, then you get one more week off, and then we will finish the book. You have been warned. Now, let's just dive right in and give you a reminder, because I just know you guys remember everything that I tell you, therefore you don't need me to remind you of what we did before the break, right? You're lucky again, you remember, I remember what we did the two weeks before that, so... Solomon has been examining the world from the world's only pers- oh, from the world's own perspective. If I could speak English, we'd be all set. Now, Solomon is able to do that. Why? Because he's got money and stuff. So if there is a pleasure of the world, he can indulge in it. And because of that, and because he's not a nitwit, but is actually a rather wise person, thanks to what God has given. He is going to evaluate the world from the world's perspective with everything the world says is good and right and just see what happens, what could possibly go wrong. Reminders. Even in the midst of trying to look at the world from the world's point of view, does that mean God has taken a nap on his throne or fallen off of it or something like that? No. Which means that you can pretend like something that is there is not there, but at the end of the day, God is still there, as well as Solomon's understanding of that. And that is still shined through a few different times, and it's going to shine through again today. Now, speaking of today, warning. This is a bit of a rough beginning, simply because the world hates us. (laughs) I don't make the rules, I just live here. That's what I forever tell people and go... Okay, we're in trouble. Hang on one second. I just realized that clock in the back is either not working or slow. So, all right. Uh Uh-oh. That means I have to look at my watch. (laughs) Back to that game to see how many times you guys can catch me looking at my watch. (laughs) So... There is a bit of a rough, uh, rough go here at the beginning. We will make it through. It is necessary to actually get to the good news at the end. Sound good? So with all that said, we will just dive straight in. Yeah, I don't know if that died or because it says, I don't know if it's just an hour behind or if it's just 20 minutes behind, but let's see what happens. E- yeah. Either way, it's not, it's not going to be good. Either way, just can't stop and do this number a couple times, you know. All right, verse one, let's dive in and have some fun. Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And we're going to pause right there. I know I do this to you every week, but it's half the fun of the verse. Um, there's plenty of that, isn't there? All the acts of oppression done under the sun. Again, go back to Ecclesiastes 1. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Now here becomes the question for us that you always have to remember. Why is that the case? Why is that the case that there are many oppressions done under the sun and that they have been there from the very beginning? They will be there until the very end. The answer is found in a simple little explanation from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees God enthroned in all of his glory and says woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts (sighs) they were wicked and sinful then they're wicked and sinful now they're going to be wicked and sinful until Jesus comes back that is the way the world works this side of Eden now that should be All that I need to say about that verse, and we should be able to move on. How many of you that are even slightly news or politically aware when I said that there are many acts of oppression which are done under the sun, the part of the back of your brain went? (laughs) Because you've never heard that, you've not heard that term at all in the last couple of years, have you? Not in the least. No, 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 no. 
we 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 wouldn't dare deal with trying to separate people by class or by race or by socioeconomic status or by any no we would never in a million years dream of doing that okay we should be able to throw that sentence away, but we can't because our modern world says, yes, yes, there, there are acts of oppression done under the sun, and, and they are set in place by your wicked systems, and they create a systemic injustice that we must dismantle. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, let's stop for a second. Are there acts of oppression? Are there wicked and sinful people? Yes. Does that make every system or structure in which a person who is sinful involved in wicked and evil? Maybe, maybe not. Are bad things happening to people every day? Yes. Now, this is a common ground you have with the people who are arguing with you on the other side of the aisle. Here's where it gets difficult. What's the world's cure for this diagnosis? No, 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 that's not, no. What's, that would be ours. What's their cure? See, and this is... This is why I tell you, going back to that little quick discussion we had on the camels, what are your foundations? Why are they your foundations? What are their foundations? Why are those their foundations? And then how do we argue at that level? Meaning we don't want to launch bombs at each other up here. I want to send a construction crew and dismantle your worldview and then actually build it back with something right. You'll notice that the minute we identify something as part of a systemic injustice, what's the only possible way to cure that systemic injustice? We must destroy the system. Now, what does that always entail? Destroying everything that it has touched, which means we have systemic injustice here, so we destroy that. We have systemic injustice over here. We have to destroy that. Oh, look, we found some more oppression over here. You know what that means. Get the bricks. We get to do what? We've got to destroy it. Now, why? Why is that the world's cure? Because, again, looking at things from the world's point of view, the world knows what about God? That he doesn't exist, and that we hate him. Which means anything that is put into place, we rage against because we see it as what? We see it as some shape, form, or fashion is coming from him. We therefore have to tear things down. This is the world's answer to everything. We don't like it, we destroy it. What shall we replace it with? I don't know. I don't know. We don't know, they don't know, nobody knows. Because at the end of the day, a raging system does what? It rages. It destroys. The enemy does what? He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is what casting off fetters, according to Psalm 2, would actually look like in real time. Now, I point that out because, again, who is never at fault for these systemic problems? The people involved in the systems. The problem is always in the structure, isn't it? It's always in the system. It's never where. Now, Christian, where's the problem? The problem is the people. If I want the system to change, what must I change? The people that are within the system. This is the argument going back we've had how many times about government. I want a better government. You need better people in government. I want better people in my government. Then you need to change hearts and minds. How, pray tell, do we do that? Preach the gospel. Proclaim Christ. In order to get a better world, you have to have a better system of the world, which means you have to have better people within that system. Tearing down has never once built anything up. And this is why the argument from the world is what it is. We want to destroy. We want to tear down because this is what sin, unfettered and unmoored, looks like. 
It devours, it destroys, it tears, it corrupts, it insults, it yells. It does everything that it can to just scratch and claw. Because since the very beginning, the goal is what? What? Who wants? Me. What do I want? So yes, there are acts of oppression which are being done under the sun. Okay, what's the cure? O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now, let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled to ground. I will lay it waste and it will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain upon it. The end of the day, the only way you're going to root out sin is for who to work? God. Who must root out sin in the hearts and minds of people? God. Which, by the way, Christian, this is the work that Christ has borne on your behalf. What is due all of your sin? Judgment. Why are you not afraid of judgment? Christ has borne your judgment. Hey, for once I got something right by not, by not fixing it. See, it makes my life easy. <laughs> Go me. See, if I was smart, I'd have acted like that was important, you know, intentional. But, yeah, but I'm not that smart, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> this is why you know I'm not good at organizing these things, because whenever I get one right by accident, I tell you. This is what Christ bears for his people. This is what the world needs. Because again, the way we should look at the world is when you see them raging against everything, the response should be, you need to stop doing that. It should be, you need a change of heart. There is a penalty that is due for this sin in this rebellion, in this hatred, and it will be poured out upon you by God. Unless what happens? Unless you repent of your sins and trust in Christ that he may bear the penalty and actually grant you a righteousness. Change your heart, renew your mind, and then therefore all of these systems that you want to be righteous can be what? Righteous not because the system is good, but because the people within it are good. Again, Christian, what makes your life good? You're just so awesome at life, aren't you? Like, we got this. Look, look, you know, marriage is perfect. Home is beautiful. Children are amazing, right? That's all of our stories, right? <laughs> Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at that person you live with. That's not nice. No, you're sitting here thinking, going, no, I only threatened to strangle the children four times this morning. That's down from five last week. It's a good day. It's a good day. I used to have a friend of mine who used to tell his wife, she... She would go to the grocery store, they'd go out to lunch after church, and she'd start talking about something or complaining about something. You'd go, you know, your pew is still warm. <laughs> I'm like, and she hasn't killed you yet? That is, that is a blessed miracle. I'm so proud. <laughs> and you should, I was there once when he got to say it to her, and the look, oh my goodness, the look, and he deserved it, and I laughed, and it was hysterical, because if looks could have killed him, I would have died, just, like, just from like the radiation blast. But you do have to remember that as you go out into this world. We're not good in and of ourselves. We are good because Christ has made us good. We have different answers, not because we have figured something out that they haven't, but because God has changed how we view the world and how we think in it. Now, the cure for that, again, is not to go, well, stop tearing things down, but to actually, again, not argue up here. What's the foundation? Why are they tearing down? Because their hope is placed where? In this world where rust and moth destroys? Where does their hope need to be placed? 
someplace else, someplace where moth and rust do not reach. And the only way they can have their eyes lifted up is to have their heart changed. So I will move on from that, what should have been a throwaway, and we will continue with verse 1. So there are acts of oppression which are done be, uh, being done unto the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed and that there was no one to comfort them. And on the side of the oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. Oh, we are getting into the thick of it now. There's a reason why I read what I read from 2 Corinthians. You, you notice that repeated word in there? And we have the comfort of Christ. And as we suffer our afflictions, we have the comfort of Christ. And as you suffer afflictions, you have the comfort of Christ. Believe me, I got sick and tired of saying the word comfort in 2 Corinthians 1. But it's a reason. This, well, the second part of this, is the lie of the world. And remember, that's Solomon's goal. Solomon wants to see the world from the world's point of view. He's trying to remove his understanding of God and look at the world and say, okay, now how do I see things? And that's almost impossible. Now, the reason why I call this a lie, Psalm 12, because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needed, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety for which he longs. Again, go back. You can go read that 2 Corinthians chapter 1 again. At the end of the day, Christian, where is your peace, your comfort, and your rest? Is it found here? Is it found in the wonders of this world? Is it found in the great advice of your friends? Is it found in the, in the, in the lovely tranquility of your home? No, it's supposed to be found where? In eternity with Christ. Great example of this is Job. Remember Job, we went through Job. You can go dig that up, it'll do you good. Job has all those lovely, terrible things happen to him. He has his lament and all of his friends then go what? They come and they say, oh man, we're so sorry this has happened to you. We really wish life had gone better for you. We, we, you know, we'll help you get back on your feet. No, they said what? What'd you do? I'm always, I'm always reminded every time I say, I can't say the word, what did you, I can't say what you, what did you do anymore? Years ago when I was in charge of an after school program for a daycare, had this little, um, this little kid, Justin, about five and his mom, I learned valuable lesson. Never, never anger a Puerto Rican mother of six. <laughs> she had six kids, 19, 18, 16, 12, five and 18 months. <laughs> and she came in one day and Little Justin was sitting in timeout. I don't even remember what he had done. She opened the door, stopped. I had his sister, who was the 12-year-old, and him in the after-school program. She just stopped the door. What'd you do, Chokey? What'd you do? And she looked, go get his stuff. What'd you do? And he just screamed out. And as she walked over, she said, get up. We got to go home. What'd you do, Chokey? Are you going to beat me with that slipper? <laughs> I love her response. Her response was, Maybe. <laughs> like justice yes <laughs> sit in the middle of this classroom on camera you know there's a recording of this somewhere hey, you're gonna beat me with a slipper <laughs> well again it's she maybe <laughs> so yeah, anytime i say what did you do i oh, i can only picture her face in here what'd you do chokey what'd you do <laughs> so, that was job's friends they sat down looked at him what'd you do and what was Job's response? I have heard many such things. Sorry, comforters are you all. And remember, that's part of the lesson. 
Your comfort isn't here. The good advice isn't found always in the world, at least not while it's focused on the world. John 14, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. If you want to have some fun, do your homework this week. Read John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Read that upper room discourse and notice how often Jesus is trying to point them away from a focus on the world, away from a focus on the work that he is going to do in dying and towards a focus on the work that he is going to be doing in eternity. That there is a, another comforter, that there is a comfort that is coming in the Holy Spirit, that there is instruction that will be done, that Jesus will return, that there is a receiving to himself. It is a looking away from the difficulties, the trials, and the tribulations of the world and ahead to a completed work that Christ has done. Christian, that's where you're supposed to live. You're supposed to go out into this world and realize that this world is not your final dwelling place. That this world's trials, that this world's difficulties, that their destruction, that they're raging against whatever it is they want to rage against this week is not where you live. And realize this. When I say raging against what they're going to rage against this week, give them a minute. And I'm not making that up. They're going to find something. You're going to go, oh, are you kidding me? I mean, just realize it's been like five, six years before we're sitting and go, whoa, 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 you're going to tell me now we're not going to know which bathroom to use? What's happened? Next thing, well, you're going to see it. Well, we're not going to know which way up and down is? Don't say that out loud. Don't give them any ideas, okay? Why? Because what does the enemy do? He seeks to kill and destroy, to distort and corrupt, not some of the things, but all of the things. And yes, it feels overwhelming. What, did, you, did you think sin was going to take a smoke break? Did you think sin was going to sit back and be like, you know, we've been really torturing this group for like the last couple of years. You know what we should probably do? Let's let them catch their breath and then we'll go at them again. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. No. You recognize that this brokenness, whatever this attack is, whatever this argument is, is just the latest thing that's going all the way back to the beginning. Therefore, again, what are my foundations? Why are they my, why are they my foundations? And how do I then attack the foundations that are coming after me? Don't sit here and argue up here. What's the underlying argument that's being waged? And more often than not, you know what you're going to find out that it is? I hate God. Don't tell me how to live, because who is the captain of my soul? You know, you're, in a, you're in a bad Captain Morgan's commercial. They're sitting there like, I'm in charge of me. Dun, da, da, da. They want to cast off the fetters. They want to live their life on their term, regardless of what they think might be coming and regardless of what they actually know is coming. They want to pretend like it's not and live any old way. Hence, this lie. And by the way, it continues, verse 2. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. Well, that, that's chipper and happy, isn't it? Better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. Well, that got happy real quick, didn't it? 
I've seen many acts of oppression and there's no one to come for them. Oh, you know, better off the people that died. And you know what? Better than the people that died are the people that were never even born. Oh, Solomon, you went far into their worldview. But you know what? Tell me that's not the world's conclusion. Live in the 21st century and tell me that's not the world's conclusion. This is actually one of the arguments that I, well, what congresswoman did this? Don't go look this up. It will not be edifying to your soul. But that was, there was, this was one of those Senate hearings or congressional meetings or something like that. And that was the argument why we needed to have a, uh, a legalized national abortion law. Because there's, there's poor families who can't afford another child. And like, you're right. That child's going to live in poverty and they're going to be hungry. Better to kill them now. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine? Extend that out, like, past birth. We'll just go into the maternity ward and, like, anything below a certain income level, we'll just strangle those kids. They're better off. What would you say to that? Like, that's insane. That's wicked. That's evil. That's what's being argued here. This, this, well, because it accomplishes the same thing. This is the world's conclusion to everything. And again, this is not unique to one segment of an argument. This is the world's argument. Why has suicide gone through the roof like it has? Why, why do you, you want a fun group? Why do you think veteran suicide is as high as it is? Because they've looked at the work. They've looked. We don't have a draft anymore. Very few people go into the military with the idea of, you know, get some college paid for, learn a couple of skills. Now, do those people exist? Yes. Love of country, seeking to be a part of something bigger than myself, principles. These are the reasons a lot of people join the military. Um, is that, does, does our world honor these things? Does our world care about these things? Imagine dedicating years of your life to something because you thought it was a higher principle and then finding out that nobody else cared. Years of your life to find out that nobody else cared, nobody else wanted it, and that they think you're insane for even caring about that. This is why you see the suicide rate you have in the veteran community. It's this argument. It'd be better off if I didn't do this. It'd be better off if I wasn't even here, rather than realize that what I worked for and what I thought was there isn't there. Or what I thought I was working for was disheartening, was a lie, was something else. This is part of the lie of the world. We've seen this again before in Job 3. Job in his, in his lament, why did I not die at birth? Come forth from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me? Why the breast that I should suckle? For now I would have been laid down. I had been quiet. I would have slept and I would have been at rest. Now stop. Is that true? No. This is not an argument for an understanding of a universe run by God. This is not a world that says, oh, look, 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 I'm being judged by God in the midst of my life. You know what I should do? I should enter into eternity in judgment. That'll solve the problem. What happens? Eyes off the throne, eyes brought down here. Where is everything about? And by the way, no one, no one is immune from this. I mean, what if I told you you could see a vision of God? You would see him in all of his glory. He would speak to you audibly and call you by name. And he would give you a mission. Tell you how it's going to go. And then walk with you every step of the way while you fulfilled it. Sound good? It's Jeremiah. You know what Jeremiah said about his mission? 
Cursed be the day when I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying, a baby boy has been born to you, and made him very happy. Let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting. Let him hear an outcry in the morning and a shout of alarm at noon, because he did not kill me before my birth, so that my mother would have been my grave and her womb ever pregnant. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame? Dude, seriously, God warned you what this was going to be like. And your answer was, yeah, I'm in, but (laughs) now again, what's the cure for this Christian? I told you this wasn't going to be fun at first. I warned you ahead of time. So (laughs) you were warned. What's the cure? Well, we need to be happy. We need to have a better outlook on life. We need to write. No, we need Jesus. We need the heart of stone replaced by a heart of flesh. We need a life offered unto God. We need a life that is living for a world that is to come, not the world that is. Because let's be honest, go digging out into the world that is. What will you find? What has Solomon found? We'll get to that in just a second. (laughs) This becomes the brokenness. And this is, again, why I despise and love this book all at the same time. Because it's an honest look at how the world sees things. It's an, and it's an honest look at how we see things when we forget who undergirds our foundations. When we forget the reasons why we live the way that we do. All too often... We think about, is there going to be a blessing that's coming to this? No, I'm doing this because I'm going to receive something. No, I'm going to get this. No, I want to do. Mm. Surrendered unto God and a recognition that I have looked. Trust me. Trust me. I have looked. I can't find that verse that promises me that everything is going to be awesome in this world. I've been trying to find it. I've gone through 27 prosperity dudes on TBN and I can't find their arguments either that make any sense. Sorry, I've, I've looked. It's why I'm in ministry. Cameron gets sick of me yelling at the TV. <laughs> She's back there nodding her head. Standing in my living room holding by going, that's not what this says. <laughs> so I'm a little high strung on this, sorry. We lie to ourselves constantly because the world has such good promises and we believe the lie and we believe what they're offering to us and we think that that's how it's supposed to be and we assume that they're happy solomon had everything he's miserable i've I've made this point before have you have you have you really ever found happy rich people like you find somebody who like i run 17 businesses and i work 28 hours a day and what does he go and at what point does he go you know what i've made enough money I'm going to go, like, you say this, give me a few billion dollars. Where am I going to be? I'm going to be on my yacht in the middle of some blue water somewhere. Doing what? Yes. Where are they? I got to make another million. I got to do this. Because it's not satisfying. Because there's no hope. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's nothing that the world offers. This is what ends up happening to drug addicts. Just, just another high. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a, and then what happens? One, eventually that little bit more becomes what? Mm-hmm. Do they all know it's coming? Yeah, they do. They do. Is it going to stop them? No. Just a little bit more. And this is the temptation that we get in every avenue of our life. Just a little bit more happiness. Just a little bit more peace. Just a little bit more quiet. Just a little bit more hope in this place. Mm-hmm. 
There isn't any. It is found in Christ and in Christ alone. It is found in utilizing the things of this world for the betterment of his kingdom, not this place. I told you we'll get to more, so we'll get to that in a second. Verse 4. I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. I love that in, like, okay, where are we now? It's about 900-something B.C. that we were keeping up with the Joneses. A little, just a little under 3,000 years ago, Solomon's like, I look out and everybody's trying to be just like everybody else. Why? What are they doing? What's the vision when they see this? Exodus chapter 20. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is why the proverb tells you where wisdom should rest. Two things I asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Real simple world. Word. Contentment. There isn't any in this world, is there? Were you ever smart enough? Were the grades ever good enough? Was the accomplishment ever enough? Could you ever slack off enough? Think about that one. I'll go to the other end of this perspective. We don't even think about this one. Anybody else besides me have their slacker phase? Mine lasted from like sixth grade until I graduated college. Because <laughs> I discovered how much work I had to do in order to pass my classes and guess how much work I did. Exactly. I actually passed a class where... I made a C in a class where 60% of my grade was dependent upon a 20-page research paper that I turned in that was eight pages long. That's how much I was able to figure out how to finagle work. Don't be like me, kids. <laughs> okay? Why? I don't want to. I don't want to. I flat out don't want to, and therefore I didn't. And here's the thing. It never became enough. There was always a little bit less work I could do. There was always a little bit more slacking off that I could do. There was always a little bit less I could accomplish. It's amazing, isn't it? How broken is humanity? How messed up in how we view the world and how we desire things are we? This is, I point this out because it's not just one end of the spectrum. This is, this is how sin affects everybody. So if you have that slacker kid or grandkid, again, they don't need a change of mind. They might need a kick in the butt, but you know what they definitely need? Jesus. And an understanding of why they live in this world, not just what they might accomplish in this world. Now, let's keep going. The fool folds his hand and consumes his own flesh. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. <sighs> Seems a little odd until you remember that Solomon hasn't forgotten his lessons, Ecclesiastes 2. I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. In other words, Solomon's complaint is, I'm going to live my life, I'm going to live my life with wisdom and accomplishment, I'm going to build all of these wonderful things, and I'm going to die. And some doofus after me is going to take it all over, and what's he going to do with it? Now, just realize. How broken do you have to be that you're upset about what people are going to do with your stuff after you're dead? 
How obsessed must you be with your accomplishments in this world to be mad about what happens in this place after you're dead? I've told you before, Cameron and I have this argument every once in a while. She'll ask me what, funer- what songs I want played at my funeral. Like how she assumes she's that I'm going to die first. Remember, kids, it wasn't an accident, okay? <laughs> and my answer is always the same. I don't care. And if I get up and complain, you have bigger problems, right? I mean, we can all agree with that, right? Because it doesn't matter. It's not important. I'm not going to be here to complain about it. But what do we spend our lives worried about? No parent has ever done this. I worry about what's going to happen to my kids after I'm gone. No parent's ever said that, right? (laughs) Yeah. Why? What are you going to do about that? Well, I'll have this life insurance and this plan in place. And and, and what if they decide they're going to blow it at a weekend bender in Vegas? Now what? Well, 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 what? You don't have this kind of control. This is why Solomon was smart enough to realize that that's vanity. To worry about what comes after I'm gone is a vanity. Now again, Christian, what's the cure? Right perspective. Seeing things properly, not as an offering to the next generation, not as an offering to the people that will come after me, but seeing it as an offering unto God. This is what Romans 12 is on about. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship, and not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, stop for a second. Don't miss the necessity of Romans' starting point. Romans 12 starts with the word, therefore. Therefore, based on everything that has come before the book in those 11 chapters, who God is, what he has accomplished, who we are, what he has accomplished for us, all of that gospel knowledge in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and into 8, all of the application about what it means for the people of God in 9, 10, and 11, based on that, because you have been changed, because you have been renewed, you now have the ability to focus upon who he is and what he would have you do and to live your life unto him. You can't have that part without the first part, which is why I agree with Solomon. If you look at the world, stop that. If you look at the world from the world's perspective, I'd much rather take a nap than work my tail off. (laughs) Wouldn't you? I mean, be honest for a second. If your answer is no, you're not old enough. (laughs) Remember, that's one of the broken parts of life. How many of you wanted a nap in kindergarten? How many of you wanted a nap in high school? <laughs> when do we get nap time? See, this is broken and messed up. I wanted nap time when I needed it, not when I was five and I had enough energy to run to the moon and back. I mean, this is, this is stupid, people. Help me out here. Why then, Christian, knowing that you would rather take your rest and you don't want to work hard, do you? The answer to that question is helping you understand your foundations. Well, I need to provide. Well, I need to do. Now, you might have listed off 28 amazing and wonderful things that you should do. But if you are not doing them as an offering unto God, you just found your idols. What do we do with our idols? We kill them with fire. Yay! (laughs) See, if I tell it to you like that, you might actually remember this. If nothing else, you remember that I'm a doofus. And I'm okay with that either way. This is, again, how you see your world is content. 
or rather how you see yourself content in your world, is you understand that your life is not lived unto your benefit, not to the benefit of the generations coming after you, not as an offering unto the ancestors that were before you, or whatever lie the world might try to give you, but as an offering unto God. Who you are is determined in all things by who Christ is and what he has done. We'll continue. Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. Solomon just can't help himself. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it is a grievous task. Why didn't he ever ask? Why did the man never look around and ask, for whom is he laboring? He's got no children. He's got no one to leave it to. Nobody's going to care. Stop for a second, Christian. Who's he working for? No, he's not. He's working for himself. I'm never asking who I'm working for because who's the answer to all of my problems and questions? I am. I shall be the solution again. I am captain of this ship. I am the one for whom accomplishment will be laid down. We'll move on. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. This is one of those common sense things. You'd much rather be in a, a sticky, you know, mis, what's the line? Misery loves company. You'd much rather be in a sticky situation with someone to help you. You'd much rather carry the burden with someone else. But this is where it's fun because this is where you can see the brokenness of the world's perspective. Because we all recognize this, but let's stop for a second. Let's rewind. I told you we would do this. What has Solomon discovered about life so far? Life itself is futile. Wisdom is futile because all you do is become smart enough to realize how not smart everybody else is and how useless all of your wisdom actually is. Pleasure is futile because eventually you're not going to be able to enjoy it anymore. Labor is futile because you're going to accomplish all of these things and at the end of the day you'll have accomplished what? <laughs> oh, go team. Competition. Keeping up with the Joneses is futile because it doesn't really matter. This is the brokenness of humanity in action as we recognize the futility of all of these activities and all these actions and yet, what do we do? We do them all anyway. Every single one of them. I've told you this before. It's my little reminder. We live in a world where we have sinful people doing sinful things to other sinful people sinfully. And this is how we attempt to accomplish everything. This is what Jesus saw, Matthew 9. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is, you want a great example of this? Architecture. Architecture is a great place to see this. When we build new buildings, what do they look like? Let's be honest. New government building is going up in some town somewhere. What's it going to look like? It's going to be a square, and it's going to be what color? White or brown. <laughs> this is what we build now. Why? What's, have you ever built a house? You ever had an office built for yourself? What's your number one concern with the construction? Well, okay, maybe number one and number two. Number one is probably how much is this going to cost, and number two is... How long is this going to take? Be, I mean, 
That's what do you, and what do you want the answer to both of those to be? Yes, as little as humanly possible. I want it as cheap as can be, and I want it as quick as can be. So we look out at our world and go, why don't we produce great beauty anymore? Why don't we build the wonderful cathedrals and the castles? Do you know why we don't do that anymore? Because it took them 400 years to build. And I'm not making that number up. I actually saw a post um, this weekend. They're, they're, they're finishing up some renovations on this cathedral somewhere in Europe. It has been under construction for 600 years. <laughs> why? Now, by the way, it's beautiful. It's ornate. It's complicated. And the reason why it's taken so long is you're like, why can't we get a crane in there? Well, because when you've got delicate shaped pieces of metal and crafted stonework, you can't just hook that up to a crane and plop it in place. Somebody's got to do the work. And if you're trying to build this massive building with bare hands, one piece at a time, you know what it's going to do? It take a while. You can only run up and down the ladder so many times before you go, all right, I need a break. <laughs> I need a nap. And it's not like anybody can do it. You have to actually have craftsmen with some skill. You don't want me doing this sort of thing. Like, you don't want to hand me the hammer and the chisel and be like, do me a favor and sculpt this marble. Uh-uh. I'm one of those people that, okay, that's perfect. But you know what I need to do? I need to take a little, and then you know what you've done? Now you've taken too much off. And you know what happens when you do that? You can't put it back. So now what are we doing? Now we got to tear the whole thing down and start it. So you don't want me involved. You want people that actually know what they're doing. 600 years. Why? Someone in the 1400s laid out a vision for this building knowing it would take hundreds of years to complete. Just think about that. Why? Because he wanted it beautiful. Because it was a Christian culture and he wanted an offering unto God. And he could trust that if God was going to have the construction completed, who would complete it? That God would raise up another craftsman, that God would raise up another engineer, that God would raise up another architect, and that the work would be done. And if it isn't, the work that I did was the best work that I could do as an offering unto who? He's never going to see it. And he's not like he's going to go and be like, we lie to ourselves, well, you know, one day I will look down from heaven. You won't care. We can see the most beautiful of buildings here. You think that compares to the glory of God? Yeah. It's a different process. It's a different thought. It's a different world. This is what I'm trying to get across to you, is that our lives have to be lived under, for a higher plane, for a better offering. That's what history has been trying to teach. That's what God's history has been trying to teach, that there is a better way, and it is not with a focus that is here. That's what Solomon is pointing out. He continues on with his common sense here. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can him who is alone, two can resist. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And that hurts me to read because how many times have you heard what is it, a, a cord of three strands is not easily broken? You see, that's how, you all said it in your head that way, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Again, common sense, but again, Christian, what's the lesson here? Not for the wisdom that the world can provide, but for the wisdom that God provides. John 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. How does that go with that? Christian, who keeps you in? Who holds you in the kingdom? Your great work? Your great wisdom? Your great accomplishment? No, the power of God. 
I don't know about you, I'd much rather rest in his strength than mine. I'd much rather rest in his wisdom than mine. This is also why we live the way that we live, not just looking backwards, but while moving forward. Christian, this is where it gets fun. I actually got to have this argument with someone the other day. Didn't end the way I would like it to end, but they never actually do. You are not saved unto your life by yourself. Never have, never will, never has been. You make a terrible church. Sorry. I don't mean like you. I mean you. You make a terrible church. I make a terrible church. I need you guys. And you guys need the rest of us. That's how God has designed this place. That's how we are supposed to function. It's the wisdom in action. You don't want to be sitting around watching the news, trying to figure out how to argue with this world by yourself. You do not want to enter into this world to argue with it by yourself. You need the wisdom of other people. Hey, guess what? Do my Johnny Depp impression. I need the wisdom of other people. This is why I do have commentaries. I haven't done this here. You guys don't give me reason to. I used to have this argument... I had this argument in a church. They were complaining about sermons. I can't imagine why they would ever complain about me, but anyway. There's <laughs> too much information, which, you know, they're probably right, but it is what it is at this point. And so I brought in one day, I told you guys, look, this is the stuff I have to go through to make sense of the Bible. And I plopped down like the eight commentaries that I was looking at <laughs> for that section. And I didn't get a whole lot of argument for a little while because I'm like, if you want to do this, go ahead. But this is the work that should be done. And this is what should be expected of you. Now, why do I do that? One, I was annoyed. And two, I wanted to slap somebody, but it wasn't allowed. So it is what it is. But because I don't just sit down, come up with this great idea, and then flop it out in front of you and hope that it makes sense. I check myself against history because, you know, what What are our rules for history? If you're the first person in 2,000 years to come up with something, what are you? Wrong. If you're the per- first person to go through a passage of Scripture and go, this is what this means, and you look and go, huh, no one else has thought that in, in like 1,500 years of recorded church teaching on this. You know what that probably means about me? I need to go back and read this again. And that has happened once or twice. Why? Because I'm a product of my time, and I think about the world from a certain point of view. Sometimes I argue with the commentary, sometimes I don't. This is important. This is why you should always be thinking and evaluating. But this is part of your strand of three chords. This is part of your blessings in history and in the world today. Always remember what Jesus was building. Jesus asking him about who people say that he is. And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my, what's the next word? Church. And the gates of the grave will not overpower it. Christ has been, is, and will be until he comes back building a church a community of people, a hedge against the world, a standard that we can lean against, a, a, a wisdom that we can rely on that actually points us in a direction that is from him and to him. You need that community. Please don't go this alone. Again, I had this argument. What day is it? It's Sunday, right? Yeah, thank you. This is where my brain is. I don't know who I am and where I am. I had this argument on Friday with somebody. He's like, you know, ever since COVID, we switched online church. I basically haven't been back in two years. I'm like, oh, dude, don't do that. Don't, no, that's not good. You act, well, I got this community of people and we talk online. Don't do that. You don't, it's not the same. 
You need people. I know you don't feel like you need people, but you need people. And, you know, and he's more of a people person than I am, which is not a hard thing to accomplish, I know. But at the same token, this is what ends up happening. Why? Because what, what did they use? The lie of the world. Got to pull you in. And now what are you? Now I'm comfortable. And I'm relaxed. And I get to define my world based on whose terms? Mine. Therefore, I like this. And this is good. And I'll do it like this. This is the lie. And this is the danger. Let's finish up. Verse 13. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. For he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. Notice, notice how Solomon just can't quite help himself. Why is a wise lad better than a foolish king? Ecclesiastes 1. I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and to know folly, and I realize that this is also striving after the wind. Solomon knows that this wisdom isn't going to produce anything if left to its own devices, and yet he still can't help himself by saying that this wise lad is better than a foolish king. I wonder if just a little bit, there's a little bit of regret for this wise Solomon. Because you know the best part about being really wise is you remember all the foolish things you did. <laughs> Trust me, we're ne- none of us are ever going to get to a point where we look back on our lives and have any regret about anything, are we? We're such amazing, awesome people, right? We're never standing in the shower going, I cannot believe I said that dumb thing in 2019. Oh, I can't believe I said that dumb thing in 2004. Yeah, because I've never done that. (laughs) I have replayed conversations from the 90s. (sighs) And the sad part is I'm old enough to now actually have that be a long time ago. (sighs) That's a sad thing. Excuse me. <sighs> got choked and was trying not to spit into the microphone before I could get it muted. That was pleasant. I'm sure that was lovely to watch. <laughs> like a cat with a hairball right there. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. That was not pleasant at all. No. No, why do we do that though? Because we have enough self-awareness to realize where we're broken and how we're broken and what's wrong. Now, again, Christian, replaying the conversation, does that make it better? No. Does that make our wisdom useless either? No. Stop looking backward, unless you're looking backward to celebrate what Christ has redeemed you from, and start looking where? Forward to the work that he is doing. I have seen all the living done under the sun. I'm sorry, I'm reading two verses at once here. I have seen all the living under the sun throng to the side of the second lad who replaces him. So just so you know, this is one of those confusing verses. We had the wise lad and we had the foolish king and the wise lad becomes king and now we have a third kid coming along to replace the wise lad. Why? Because the crowd came along and loved who? The latest new thing. The, the, the next thing on the scene. Now, uh, this is yours. I'm going to borrow you. Ready? I like this because this is a good explanation. A person is smart. People are dumb. <laughs> and my, my father's rule was always this. I've never been able to forget this. Never underestimate the power of stupid people in large numbers. You ever seen a crowd get an idea in its head that makes no sense? Is there, is there any talking to it? Is there any arguing with it? Like, do you want to stand in the midst of the riot and go, hey, guys, let's just... What happens? I mean, 
We see this with panics. You'll see this at concerts and in malls and things like that, that people will be stampeded when you just get enough people going in a direction. Just realize how messed up you have to be as a human being that you are running from something. You see someone fall in front of you and your only thought is, oh, well, sorry to be you. Dun, 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 dun. And not just you had that thought, but another person had that thought. And another person had that thought until we kicked that person to death. You have any idea how hard that is to actually do? To just, to just step on someone until they die? Tens, dozens of people have to do this. This is humanity when we get in a panic. This is the problem. This is why you never ever trust a crowd. Now, Christian, take that all the way back to the beginning. We want to destroy because it's what we do. You're a crowd. What don't we do? We don't listen to the crowd. Why? Because the crowd has no foundation. The crowd has no moral compass. The crowd wants what? I don't know. And you know what else? The crowd doesn't know what it wants either. That's what my always, my always favorite thing is you'll, you'll see people go to protests and ask people what they're protesting. <laughs> and half the time it's just yelling and screaming and carrying signs because we don't know what we're protesting. We're not here to have an argument. We're not here to change your mind. We're just here to do what? Rage. I mean, you see this with Jesus, John 19. When Pilate had heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down before the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, when it was on the day of preparation, for it was Passover, and about, about the sixth hour, he said to the Jews, behold, your king. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king, but Caesar. Just realize, Israel, the Pharisees hated the Romans, the Sadducees hated the Romans, the crowd hated the Romans, the Zealots hated the Romans. They're longing for a king who's going to boot out the Romans. They think Jesus is this king because he tells dead people they're not allowed to be dead anymore. He tells sick people they're not allowed to be sick anymore. He tells demon-possessed people that the demons can go away now they're not needed any longer. He makes food out of thin air. If there was ever a dude to command your nation to kick out the powerful Romans, it was the guy who could do all of that. And when they get down to the end of it, once they got going in direction, they're like, yeah, 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 you can kill that guy. We're good. Yeah, we don't need him. We'll get something else. <laughs> What's that Bugs Bunny thing where he starts drinking the potion? And start, what, 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 better, what better king are you going to find who makes food and raises the dead and accomplishes all these things? And their answer was, I'm sure we'll think of something. <laughs> no, their answer wasn't that because their answer was what? <laughs> They don't have an answer. They don't have a thought process because there's nothing there. Hence Solomon's conclusion. There is no end to all the people, to all who were before them, and even the ones who will come later will not be happy with him, for this too is vanity and striving after the wind. So we had the foolish king. We didn't like him. So we got the wise king. We didn't like him. So we got this third dude, and we didn't like him. Why? Because every crowd is Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately? There you go. There's a flashback you all needed in your day. <laughs> Which is, again, Christian, why you settle upon what foundation? The foundation that Scripture has put forward. First John 2. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Christian, that's your hope. That's your anchor. That is Christ has brought you into the kingdom. It is Christ that holds you into this kingdom. He has changed your heart, renewed your mind, given you a right vision. Now you have the work to do of actually following that path. And with his strength 
And with his holding, you will accomplish that and recognize that as you see the world, the temptation is to go along because, ooh, it looks nice, it's shiny and pretty and wonderful. No, it isn't. It's death and it's destruction and it is vanity and vanity and striving after the wind. But in Christ, we have a better way because in Christ, we actually have a wisdom that teaches us how this world should function and we actually have a Holy Spirit that explains what we are supposed to do. Christian, lean on that. Recognize that that is who you are and why you stand. And when something tries to pull you off of that, say no and point out the sand that they're arguing from. That's where our argument is found with the world because our hope is not in that place. Our hope is not out there. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's pray.